When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, TSLers? It is Ricky the Blue, the associate editor of TechSideline.com here for the second episode of the TSL podcast. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for listening to the first one. We had a lot, a lot of success with that, and we're really hoping to continue to improve these podcasts as we go along. As, as always, I'm going to be here with my two bosses, actually, uh, Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. Uh, these guys have been here forever with Tech Sideline, and they their knowledge of uh, Virginia Tech football and basketball is it's just absolutely incredible. Uh, Will, how are you doing today, man? Doing good. What year were you born? What year were you born? Nineteen ninety-four. Wow. In the middle of the year, too. So, yeah. Wow. So I've been watching tech football since nineteen eighty-three. Yeah. And sort of following it a few years before that. So yeah, just, that's just to impress upon Do, people how long we've been at this. Does that make you feel really old? No, having a kid in college <laughs> makes me feel old. <laughs> And for those of you that don't know, my oldest uh, enrolled at Tech uh, last week, I guess it was. Yeah, yeah, we took him in on Wednesday the 23rd. So that's exciting. That's cool for your son to be, uh, you know, doing what you did. How much of ago. a disaster was it to get him moved in? Uh, it wasn't a problem at all. He's, he's living in West Eggleston, and uh, the dorms opened at 8 a.m. Wednesday, August 23rd, and we were parked right in front of his dorm at 7.45 a.m. He's first floor, boom, we got in, no problem. Man, you can't beat that. No, that was good. It was easy for us. Chris, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. I have no move-in stories, but I'm ready for football season. <laughs> yeah, I, I would think that we're all ready for football season at this point. We've kind of rehashed just about every off-season storyline that we can at this point. So I'm so ready to play some games. Let's go ahead and talk West Virginia for a little bit. The first thing I want to talk about is the is the rivalry or the supposed rivalry between these these two programs. Obviously, it's they haven't played since 2005. Um, Will, do you, do you think that, and this was kind of a topic here uh, among among the media uh, sessions this week, do you think that the, the rivalry really, really exists for this coaching staff or these players, or do you think it's really just kind of among the fans? Oh, it's just among the fans. I mean, you know, these players don't know anything about playing West Virginia on a regular basis. They don't know about the history. That's normal, but, but the coaching staff doesn't either. You know, I, I looked, and I don't – Memphis has never played West Virginia, so – I don't know if TCU did when uh, when Justin Fuente was at TCU, but you know I just don't think these guys have have any. Hmm, I got to choose the right word here. Probably just knowledge, or I don't want to say respect or appreciation. They want to go out and win a football game, and they do respect the West Virginia program. Of but course, it's just not a thing for them. To me, it's, I'm sure to them, it's just another opponent. It's an important game, but uh, you know, for those of us. I see when I was back, I was at Tech from '83 to '87, and West Virginia was that team. Back then, Tech had an 11 game schedule. Eight or nine of the games were cakewalks, and the other two were generally West Virginia and Virginia. You'd get Clemson sprinkled in there every once in a while, but you know you'd have uh, William and Mary, Richmond schools like that. The Tech Tech would beat on a regular basis. And it always came down to how would they do in those two big games, Virginia, West Virginia, and maybe somebody else. And, man, we, I know when I was in school, we just had a hard time beating West Virginia, you know. And 
So it resonates with me. It goes yeah. way back. Yeah. And even to the 89 game when, when they went to Morgantown and um, I don't remember where West Virginia was ranked. I think they were a top 10 team. They were ninth in the country. I yeah, believe. that's what I thought. And Tech went in there and beat them 12-10. Um, I didn't even listen to that game, which tells you how little hope I had Tech was going to win it. I was, at, I was at a friend's apartment. Somebody rolled in and said, hey, Tech's beating West Virginia. So I ran out to the car and listened to the rest of it on the car radio. You know, that's what we had to do back then. You couldn't. Couldn't stream it on your iPhone. That's right. (laughs) So, anyway, I think the fans have a real appreciation of it, but I don't really think the coaches and and players do. Chris, do you think that that's a good thing that the the coaches and players aren't really as emotionally invested in this as maybe the coaches and players were in the in the early mid two thousands and before that? You know, I I thought about writing about that yesterday in my preview, um, but. I, I didn't because I figured we'd get to it today. My preview was getting too long anyway, and I, I could write about that for another 2,000 words. Exactly. Um, I, I got the sense when I read a Roanoke Times article yesterday, I think it was by Mark Berman, um, and there were a lot of quotes from West Virginia players in there. Um, one of them straight up said, we're going to dominate or something like that. It's, it seemed like talking from the way those West Virginia players talked, it mean, the game means something to them from a rivalry standpoint. And it seems uh, to me that when you listen to the Virginia Tech players talk, the game means something to them from a, it's the first game of the season, let's yeah. get a win, it doesn't matter who we're playing standpoint. Yeah. I don't know what's better. Um, I, I do know that, I, I remember the, that 2003 game when Virginia Tech was ranked third in the country and got crushed that Wednesday night in Morgantown. I don't think the Virginia Tech players and coaches were ready for what they got themselves into that night. I don't think they realized that, yes, there was always a rivalry. West Virginia never liked Virginia Tech. But when Virginia Tech uh, left the Big East and and joined the ACC. Definitely rubbed some, some people yes, the wrong way over the, there. The schools that got left behind, particularly Pitt and West Virginia. And I think that took it to the next level. Uh, you know, not only amongst the fans, but the players too. And the tech players and coaches didn't know what they were getting themselves into that Wednesday night. They didn't realize that the rivalry had had gone to that level. That game ended up being twenty eight to seven. And honestly, Virginia Tech, the only touchdown Virginia Tech scored, should not have been a touchdown. And <laughs> under these days in a review, it would have been overturned. Um, so from that standpoint, I, I don't know. I, I I just remember that one time when I, when I watched that game, and I could tell that the game meant more to West Virginia than it did to Virginia Tech. Um, I don't know if that's the case this time. You can never tell by the way people talk. Uh, you know, I don't know. Virginia Tech's players these days in interviews, they basically go out there and say a exactly lot of what they're what coached they're told to, to say. say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, so right. it's, it's, it's just it's hard to tell. Um, I think Virginia Tech has a little more talent than West Virginia. I think overall their coaching staff is, is, is better than West Virginia's, but uh, – there's a lot of unknown in this game, and, and quite frankly, we're, we're we don't we're not going to have anywhere close to all the answers until, you know, about midnight on Sunday. Chris, do you think that it's a good thing that this this rivalry is kind of being rekindled at a neutral site? Is that I, really, especially considering where the rivalry was in the mid two thousands? I I think so. I, I remember uh, the only time I've ever been scared at, at a football <laughs> game was actually in Lane Stadium in two thousand two. When I was walking down Spring Road, which is now Beamer Way, going towards a tailgate, and this big group of West Virginia fans walk by, and there's probably about 50 of them, and, and they're all cussing and whooping it up and, you know, just acting like, you know, your 
stereotypical West Virginia yeah. fan. You know, certainly not all West Virginia yeah, fans are like that. But this group, they walked by me, and come, some couple of them looked at me, and I got scared. And I was in Blacksburg. <laughs> um, I think the rivalry needed a break, and uh, I, I do think it's good if, if if you restart it to start it at a neutral site like this. Now, that being said, those tailgate lots might be kind of messy before and after the game, particularly after the game, depending on how the game goes. Everything at FedEx is messy. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, yeah, well, but the, the thing is, you know, and, and I think some West Virginia fans have said this on our message board, um, tickets to this game are expensive. This game is not in Morgantown. Um, I, I'm going to try to put this as nicely as possible. The kind of WVU fans that would cause trouble are not, I'm not saying they're not going to be there at all because they really support their team. And, yeah, maybe they'll pony up the bucks and show up. But in general, I think you're going to have a better crowd here than you would have in, in either Lane Stadium or uh, in Morgantown. You're absolutely right. I remember when I went to Charlotte this past year for the Belk Bowl, and I, I was uh, hanging out in Whiskey River going, going to watch the the Miami-West Virginia ball game. Well, little did I know that Whiskey River is a West Virginia <laughs> a West bar. Virginia bar. <laughs> for, for, uh, for all their alums in the Charlotte area, you know, just like the Black then, I believe, is, is the Virginia Tech bar down there, yeah. which is, you know, just a couple of doors down from Whiskey River, yep. actually. But uh, so I'm, but I'm in there, and, and these West Virginia fans, you know, they're, they're, they all live in Charlotte. They, they all have left the state of West Virginia. They're, they're all big city people. I mean, it, it was just like it was just like being around Tech fans or or Penn State fans or, or Clemson fans or anybody else. You know, it was not your, it was not the type of people that cause issues at West Virginia football games. You 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 wouldn't have looked at any of those people or talked to any of those people and thought, man, I bet you burned a couch at the last. Can't, football pic- game, can't right? picture them throwing batteries. <laughs> exactly. Or... Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that type. And and I think when you get to cities and stuff, it's less of that type that that's that's going to behave that way so I, I that's a good point i i think it'll uh it might not be as bad as as, as some people think it might be so th- this is neither here nor there i just thought of it while chris was talking um one of the interesting things that happened in the early 2000s was that um at a time when virginia tech wasn't giving tech sideline media access west virginia would i sat in the press box for the 2001 and 2005 games in morgantown but in 2003 uh, you know, I submitted a credential request and West Virginia said, you know, Virginia Tech was very highly ranked. And West Virginia said, you know, ordinarily we'd give it to you, but we just literally don't have the room. Uh, there's going to be a lot of national yeah. media here. But our photographer, Russian Hokey, did go up and shoot the game. They did give us a field uh, photography pass. And there's a uh, picture he took in that game. of It's an isolation shot of a... Uh, a trooper, I assume it's a West Virginia State trooper. Who knows? It might have been uh, a state trooper that the Virginia Tech program brought with them. Yeah, yeah. But this guy's standing there, and he's got this look on his face, and he's looking up into the crowd, and he's holding in his hands a 16 or 20-ounce plastic bottle full of sand that someone <laughs> had thrown out of the stands, and he was just looking up there trying to figure out who it was. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we do not see that kind of environment uh, on, on Sunday night. Um these two teams are not scheduled to play again until the, the 2021 season. In Morgantown. Yes. After that home-and-home, home, which will be 20, 20, 2021 and 2022, do you think that this rivalry should be continued at all? That's a good question. I think you've got to see how these games go first. But I, I will say this. The, the best thing about college football is the rivalries and the emotions. And if you look at Virginia Tech football over the last 10 years, 
UVA has just been nothing but, but a speed bump. You know, that's not a rivalry <laughs> anymore. I, I, you know, as a Virginia Tech fan, I really like playing North Carolina because of the recruiting uh, battle, you, you know, that they have. And, and, and the fact that, you know, they had Butch Davis as their coach and, and whatever whatever other scandals they've had going down there. I'm not a North Carolina fan from that standpoint. <laughs> so that game means a lot to me. But at the same time, their fans don't care. They're a basketball school. So it's only really a rivalry if both fan bases are into it. So Virginia Tech does not have a rival right now. Because UVA fans are not into it anymore. They're not into it anymore, exactly. So Virginia yeah. Tech fans don't have a rivalry right now with, a, with another fan base. And, you know, I think... Man, now you're making me sad. Yeah, I know. So it's, <laughs> it's been... So that part of, of the Virginia Tech football life, so to speak, the last 10 years or so has been extremely empty. And it's kind of disappointing. So I feel like that, gosh, some people won't like it. I, I'm, I'm the, I might change my tune after a game or two against them. But right now I would say, yeah, it's it's good for both parties for, for, that, to come, for that rivalry to come back. You know I think that North Carolina would be a great rival for Tech just because of all the recruiting things that go back and forth and the fact that North Carolina pulls a lot of players from Virginia and Virginia Tech pulls a lot of players from from the Tar Heel State. Um, But nothing says being a football school like having a basketball player on your practice helmet. Yeah. And I totally understand that you're trying to build the brand there, but it just kind of sends the wrong message, at least in my opinion. So put yourself in the place of a UNC fan – a basketball fan, I'm sure they're looking at tech basketball fans and giving it the, oh, well, they don't care about basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. whether you agree yeah. with that opinion or not is a, is a separate matter. So there, there is no real rivalry in football or basketball, yep. you know. Uh, and and that's, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever really thought about it the way Chris just uh, expressed it. Um, but, you know, I just talked about when I was in school, 83 through 87, not only did the West Virginia fans care, but the UVA fans cared, and that's gone. And it's been replaced with Duke and Boston College. Yeah, and it's just not the same. And we've we've had a lot of discussions about how ACC football hasn't turned out to be what we expected when Tech joined the league in two thousand three, and 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 a lack of mostly just because a lot of the teams in the coastal haven't been able to kind of achieve the same level that Tech w- was before that, that that you know awful four-year stretch and then where they are right now. Yeah, there's a nice little rivalry with Georgia Tech, but again, yeah, yeah, a little again bit. it's not at the fan level. You know, Georgia yeah. Tech fans, they're, they're pretty good, but there's just not a lot of them, you know, and, and they're not as passionate as Tech fans are. My favorite days of watching Tech football will always be the mid to late 90s because West Virginia was good and UVA was good and, and, and you know, Syracuse was good. Miami was 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 talented, and I, I, and I, Pitt, I just, gave, Pitt gave Tech a lot Pitt, of trouble Pitt, back Pitt then. Gave Tech trouble back then. You knew who you were playing every year because the Big East was an eight-team conference. You played yeah. the same seven teams every year, um, and it's just different these days. I mean, yeah, we get Clemson on the schedule this year, yay, and then you know that series won't start again for how many years? You know, it, it, it's so after you, this home you play home. every six years. Yeah, right. so you play but then at their you don't, place every But you don't get years. them to play at home every, for every 12, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so to give you some idea of the ramifications that this is kind of a weird story, but I was, I was sitting there the other day and I was like, I said to myself, okay, name all, all 15 ACC teams, including Notre Dame. And I went through them in my <laughs> head and the one I left out was Louisville. Well, why did I leave Louisville out? Because Tech hasn't, Tech played, hasn't played Louisville in football and they're yet. not going to play them until when? I don't know. You know. I don't know either. At least for 
a few years, but yeah. Th- so that's kind of sad when you can't actually yeah. name a team in your own conference because you don't play. Yeah. yeah, and so I just I, I don't I don't have a whole lot of emotional feelings tied up in this whole ACC thing. I mean, to me, it's just. Uh, there's just there's just football games. Except I'm mad at John Swaffer for not forming an ACC network sooner. That's sure. where my emotion besides is. Besides that, we could <laughs> we could we could create an entire a podcast, whole separate podcast on just the ACC network. Yeah. But kind of going back to the question, Will, I wanted to get your take. Do you think that that West Virginia and Virginia Tech need to try and schedule more more games in the future? Even though, if you look at the future schedules which are available on TSL, um, they're kind of scheduled up for the next six to seven years at least. Well, I wish, you know, I wish I, I, I'm a guy who'd like to see Tech uh, play West Virginia every year. Not East Carolina, not ODU, not Liberty. You know, I want, I want to play West Virginia every year. And sure uh, to want to play VMI. Uh, Actually, we're playing VMI, right? Well, you know, it's, that's it's why I asked that. <laughs> I, I was talking to an old school Tech fan about, I don't know, it must have been about a month ago. And he's like, I think we ought to play VMI again. And I'm thinking somebody might get killed. <laughs> You know, and and then it got announced <laughs> that VMI's on the on the schedule. Yeah, but a, there was a, definitely a little bit of backlash. Good friend of mine who who played small college football. You know, he's a football player at heart. That's his mentality, and he's actually uh, we're riding up to the game with him. He really misses the West Virginia game. He 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 believes, like Chris said, that rivalries, not just among teams and coaches, but among fan bases, are, are what college football is all about. You know, so a lot of that's missing, and. Even if Tech started up with West Virginia again, it's not going to be the same, man. There was some bad blood there. You talked about uh, Virginia Tech not being ready for West Virginia in 2003. Virginia Tech was ready in 2005 when they went up to Morgantown. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they blew them out. And, uh, again, I was in the press corps, and I remember standing on the sideline. Uh, West Virginia had you go down to the field. I don't know, five or ten minutes left to go in the game. So I was standing behind the Tech bench, and I was watching some of the uh, – uh, conversation going on between West Virginia fans <laughs> and Virginia Tech players and Carl you know we got a picture that doesn't make it out publicly but uh, Carlton Powell had a single digit for those those West oh, Virginia I do fans not doubt it and at he all. was smiling and laughing about it while he was doing it <laughs> and every, everybody on the bench was loving it too I do yeah. not doubt yeah. that at all because they endured so much there two, years, two before. years before that and to go in there back in there and blow them out with West Virginia fans right behind them you know, whatever, throwing batters at them, I don't know. When you can lock that game up, that's the first thing you do. You turn around and you let those fans know about it. And the 2005 game was interesting because because of the 2003 history, that that 2005 game was scheduled at noon, Mm -hmm. and there were officers lining the field. Uh, I talked about the interplay between the fans and the players. Well, they had to talk to each other over a line of police officers (laughs) who were just standing and looking up into the stands. Well, hopefully we do not see any of that on Sunday at FedEx Field. I know as a media guy who will be walking his way to the stadium from the media lot, I do not want to have to walk into a fight. Yeah, but you're um, a good dude. You wear neutral colors. Yes. So. Well, I mean, yeah, of course you have to. Um, let's kind of talk about expectations for Sunday. I wanted to give you a couple over-unders because I feel like these two things might be really, really important for the game. Uh, the, the first one is over-under one and a half touchdown passes that Josh Jackson throws on Sunday. Chris, go ahead. I would go over. Um, I, you know, I think when you think about Justin Fuente's philosophies, one of the first things he says when he got here is, you know, you throw the ball to score and you run the ball to win. Yep. When Tech gets the ball inside the 5-10 yard line, they're going to throw the ball, I think, to, to score. Um, they're gonna, they're, they're, they, they seem like they, they come up with very creative plays, passing plays, down there by the goal line to score. Uh, 
Like a guy like Chris Cunningham can score four touchdowns out of his six catches. <laughs> yeah. um, so, hey man, he's uh, efficient. You're right. So assuming Tech can actually, you know, get down in the red zone, you know, three, four, five times, then I, I would, I would go over on that. Will, I'll go over also for the same reasons. Uh, you know, the gone are the days of bringing in two tight ends and trying to pound that thing in or toss sweeping to Lee Suggs, which is way more reliable than bringing in two tight ends. <laughs> um, yeah, so. It, Definitely over. I would put the over-under on that at two and a half, actually. See, I'm going to go under. I'm going to go with one just because I do think that the the passing offense outside of Josh Jackson is going to struggle. And I think that Tech is really going to have to rely on the run game uh, on Sunday if they're going to want to score. At least that's just how I have it. Christy, do you think that they could have to end up relying on the run game a bit more? Uh, the, you know, that's possible. I, I think they're going to uh... – I mean, I think they're going to try to be balanced. I think there's no doubt they're going to try to be balanced. They're going to, they're they're not going to turtle up. They're they're going to attack West Virginia, but they're going to try to be balanced there. And you're and you're going to see, uh, you're going to see Josh Jackson involved in the running game, maybe in a different way than you saw Gerard Evans involved in the running game. You know, maybe a better question should be, you know, if we get the ball inside the five yard line, what's the over under on Stephen Peoples' rushing touchdowns? Because yeah. I think he's going to be their short yardage guy. He definitely could be. He's 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 going to be what Gerard Evans was last year, playing a different position. Another one of the over unders that I wanted to get to, it, just because this offense is so young and there's so many young players at really at all the positions, other than offensive line, um, over under one and a half turnovers for Tech. Will. Hmm. Wow. Did they actually set the over under to a good spot here? Yeah, yeah, okay. actually did. Good, I'm, good. I'm, uh, uh, hmm. My, col- my <laughs> colleague Aaron McFarling at Roanoke Times would be very pleased with me right now. Totally stonewalled me. <laughs> um, man, I'd have to put the over at. Uh, I'd, I'd go over on that. I think Tech might turn it over twice. Yeah. I don't think they'll go. Higher than that, maybe three, you know. But uh, I think uh, I think Fuente, you know, you know, he's going into his second year, and, and I think, and, and I wanted to bring this quote up during the podcast. Um, you know, he talked about after that Bristol game last year uh, that Tech, when they had some success, kind of lost their minds because they weren't expecting success. Yep, I remember. And it that. went back in the other direction when they started having some problems. They they created. Um, so I think he's going to work on that sort of thing and try to even things out a little bit more. I tried to ask him a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, uh, going into a big environment like this in a big pro stadium with a lot of fans there, are you going to try to kind of insulate some of your younger guys from, you know, the, the fact that it's such a huge game? Some of these guys, their last game was in a high school stadium in front of, you know, a thousand people. Yeah. Now, I asked that question early because he hadn't started prepping for the West Virginia game yet, and it's kind of a – it's a bit of a fool's question anyway because there's there's too many young guys on the field for Tech to, to really kind of shield some of them from, from having to play and make plays. Uh, I'd put it at two. I'd be surprised if it went more than two. And I, obviously, I hope it's less. I have, I have to go under because I, I picked Tech to win the game. And I feel, I feel like <laughs> – If they turn it over twice, they're not they're winning. They're not going to win. Yeah, um, see, I, th- I think they can turn it over twice and get away with it that. Do, if, if, they, if, the, if they also force two turnovers, then yes. Right, it force them two or three. But I just go back to the, the first press conference they had back in the spring. Fuente comes out there and so one of the first things he says was, last year in our four losses we were minus ten in turnover margin. Yeah. And in our ten wins we were plus nine. I mean – 
that's the margin for error was small last year. If anything, it's smaller this year. So Definitely. I, I don't know if a team Especially this young can, can overcome turning the ball over twice unless the defense also forces two, two turnovers. And it depends on where those turnovers are. It you does. Know, are they it inside does. your 10 or are they inside West Virginia's 10? Something I've always heard is that football is, is mainly two things. It's winning third down on offense and defense and not turning the ball over and turning the other team over. If you can do those two things and win those two categories, you're going to win most of the time. That That's it, an accurate statement. It, it is an accurate or inaccurate. It's accurate, but <laughs> okay. it's a little simple. It, it is. Yeah, it, yes, it's third, very simple. Third downs are but, critical, but yeah. guess what? Being good on first and second down, so you helps can make it being third good and on two third instead down. of third and 12. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so, definitely so, helps being good on third down. So there's a there's a a, a new website called The Athletic, which yes, is it's we've a, all talked. Yeah, consists of a bunch of people that get laid off from ESPN, basically <laughs> Fox you Sports, know, Sports S- Illustrated, yeah. USA Today. So as as the larger entities jettison true written journalism, you know, people are landing somewhere. It's Stuart Mandel, I think, is is the is the big one behind it, but. Uh, they're going to track stop rate this year. Yes, I'm really excited to see that. So I'm sitting here as you guys are talking, and we should throughout the season make up a success metric, not just of stop rate, but of turnover. So combine the two things. How do, how do the teams do on third downs and fourth downs, because that's important, third and fourth downs and turnovers, and how how are those a predictor of, of wins and losses? I would be willing to bet that they're a good, not a great Huge predictor, but I think they'd be a, like a maybe relatively a left, good maybe, what do you think in a twelve game season? Is that going to predict ten of the or ten of the ten or eleven of the games probably. properly? Probably those two factors together. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. And uh, in the game, that it doesn't predict right. It'll be some special teams play. Exactly. Like yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Let's go ahead and go to, and go to our game predictions. I know that we put these in our our game preview, which was published yesterday on the website. You can go ahead and look at that at the homepage at techsideline.com. Uh, Chris, go ahead and give me your prediction for the game, and, and give me you know kind of your your keys to the game for Virginia Tech real quick. I think my score prediction was 27 to 20. Um, I Sounds had a, about right. Yeah, I had it within a touchdown uh, in favor of Virginia Tech. You know, you can really go either way on this game. I certainly understand why people are picking West, West Virginia. I, I think on the whole, though, I think Dana Holgerson's a good coach. I think their defensive coordinator, Tony Gibson, is a good coach. I don't think they're quite elite. I, I look at what Dana Holgerson did before last season. He was on a bit of a hot seat. Oh, he was on a bit bit of a hot seat because he started off 10-3 and in his first year, which was their last year in the Big East on a watered-down Big East. So they they won 10 games, and they didn't really play anybody. And they went to the Big 12, and they started losing. I mean, there was even a 4-8 and season thrown in there. And if you throw out last season, I mean, he's actually got a losing record in Big 12 play. So he was on the hot seat to a certain extent before last season. And the overall body of work does not suggest that he's anything more than simply a solid FBS Power 5 level football coach. And I I think Justin Fuente and Bud Foster and throwing James Sheepist on special teams too, who I think is excellent. I I think combined, those guys offer more than the West Virginia staff. And that's why I give the edge to Virginia Tech. I, I think Virginia Tech has guys that are elite or close to elite and West Virginia does not. Will, go ahead. I predicted uh, 31-21 I believe, Virginia Tech um, and for me it, it specifically comes down to Bud Foster and having a healthy defense um, you know, eight or ten games down the road when guys are dinged up in their knees and shoulders and things like that it, it can be different, but 
I think when Bud has a lot of time to prepare for a team and his defense is healthy, um, he can really be bad news. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm going to hang my hat. And, um, you know, barring special teams plays and, and turnovers and things like that, I, I think that it'll be a little bit of back and forth, but you'll just get the feeling that um, Virginia Tech is in control. Yeah. So when I say 31-21, I'm not saying they're going to be leading by 10 the whole time, but I think at the end that, um, you know, they'll they'll pull away. I think I predicted 26-17 to 17 in yesterday's game preview, and I'm actually starting to kind of lower both of those totals because I just don't think either offense is going to have that much success on Sunday. Uh, I do think that the defenses are probably the strengths of both teams, uh, especially Virginia Tech. And I do think that Tech is going to have to come up with some big defensive play, whether it be a turnover or a huge sack on a third on an important third down, something along those lines. Virginia Tech is going to have to have one of those big defensive impact plays in order to kind of win this game. And I do think the defense will carry them. I think that uh, Justin Fuente, Brad Cornelson, they'll be able to, as Bud Foster likes to say, manufacture some points. So I, I, I would probably have it somewhere around 23-14 maybe, but I know that my prediction yesterday was 26-17. So somewhere around that, I do think it'll be a relatively low-scoring game. Do, do, do you guys think this be any way this could be a, a shootout kind? Because I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I, I saw one of the national networks. Yesterday, picked Virginia Tech 38-31. I just don't I just, see I, it. I don't see Not that Not quite either. that high, yeah. yeah. I can't see that. I don't see either team giving up 30-plus points. So, let, so let, let's go ahead and kind of and move on from Western Union. Obviously, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be able to cover that game all weekend long. Uh, I'll be there at the game. I know Chris and will be there at the game as well. Uh, we'll have plenty of coverage for you at the game and after the game as well. One of the things I wanted to talk about in the podcast at the suggestion of my good friend and a, a fellow Tech alum, Todd Smith, who graduated last year, uh, one of his questions was that he was really trying to come up with an all-time defense for Virginia Tech. And I feel like it's really, really hard to come up with one for the entire school's history. So let's go ahead and try and limit it to the Beamer era. Yeah. Can you guys try and give me an all-time defense? Let's go ahead and start at defensive end. Wilk, is there is just a few guys that you can name who would be worthy of that kind of, of list in the in the Frank Beamer era? Well, I think your starters have to be Cornell Brown and Corey Moore. Okay. Um, John Engelberger played some defensive end, played some defensive tackle. I, I would I would probably back and guys, this is off the top of my head. I'm not sitting. Yeah. Here. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going over all 29 years of my head. We're right not. Now. Yeah. Well, we're not oh, going to put. I'm leaving, a, out, I'm leaving out Daryl Tap though. Well, I see. I had Man. him down You're on my list that I wanted to make sure we put in there. Two different defensive end positions. You, you had the stud defensive end, which is your wide side defensive end, and you had your end, which was always on the short side of the field. And a guy like Corey Moore, Cornell Brown, they would play that, they'd play that the stud, same position, stud right? spot. They'd be on yeah. the wide side of the field. So I think if you're just looking at position by position, you'd take Corey Moore at stud and then probably John Engelberger at end at on the end. other deep position okay. because that was more of his strength, short side, boundary, so, so where, support. Which one did Tap play? Uh, tap played both. So I'd, I'd have Engelberger and Tap at one end and Moore and Brown at the other end. There's your two deep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's go ahead and move to defensive tackle because that was one of the hardest ones for me to come up with with some names. Chris, who who really kind of stands out in your mind in the Beamer era at defensive tackle? They've had a lot of really good defensive tackles. I think J.C. Price is probably the best overall defensive tackle. Yeah, when he was healthy. When he was healthy. Isn't he coaching with Cornell monster. right now at he Marshall? Is. They're both at Marshall. Yes. J.C. is the defensive tackles coach, and Cornell is the defensive ends coach. Uh, I, I think he's definitely number one on my list. Number number 
too is my goodness there have been so many guys and it's hard for me to remember all of them i'm sure i'm going to forget some but uh jonathan lewis was really really good david Pugh was an excellent player Pugh had a real burst to him yeah you know i'm, I'm, I'm not i'm not sure he started a couple of years i'm not sure i'd want him starting on this team but he's a great guy to bring off the bench yeah yeah and, and you know he went to the nfl he played in the nfl hmm. played for the colts so i mean that guy was a really good did, did they convert him to offensive lineman no that was chad beasley okay but the, the, and actually Chad played some in the NFL as an offensive guard. Well, he was, he was a great defensive tackle tech, uh, Pugh and Beasley. You know, they were the backups for two years, and and that was part of that those dominant 98 and 99 defenses. They were actually the backup defensive tackles to, to, uh, to Nathaniel Williams and Carl Bradley, who were yeah. really good players. I would probably say Pugh and J.C. Price, but... You know, you could get me with, with Jonathan Lewis and, and maybe a couple other guys, too. But yeah, but you, no you were always a big fan of Carlton Powell. I was a big fan of and, Carlton Powell. Uh, Powell would probably be in my team. Booker, TV. Brad Booker. Uh, Barry you Booker. Like, you like Barry Booker. Barry Booker. You liked Powell better. I, I did think. like Powell better. Booker was a little more athletic uh, and things like that, but Powell was, was really, really tough, hard to move off the ball. I think he's the last Virginia Tech defensive tackle to play in an NFL football game. Yeah, interesting. In a regular season NFL football. So what are we down to? We're down to Pew, Pew, uh, uh, JC Price, JC Price, and I, I've got JC. He's my number one. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I've actually got a couple of friends uh, that play f- on the same teams as JC Price, and one of them asked me one day who I thought like the best pure football players I had ever seen at Virginia Tech, and I and I said Brandon Flowers and Vince Hall, and my buddy actually said JC Price. Yeah. Um, and I was like, man, that was a while ago, but yeah, you know, he could be right about that. JC yeah. might be the best pure player that Tech has had on defense. You mentioned Vince Hall. Let's go ahead and move to linebacker. Okay. Obviously, I think Vince Hall is probably in that group. We'll obviously use three linebackers because that's what Tech has done for, for for basically all of the Beamer era. Uh, Vince Hall, I'm assuming we're going to throw X in there, right? And, and Mike, you've got to have Vince Hall. Right? There's yeah. No, no other option. Yeah. yeah. I, I as, your, as your number one guy. <laughs> yeah. Your your second guy at Mike, um, who uh who played in the in the nineties with Jamel Smith and Michael Hawks. Michael Hawks. You, you could throw Michael Hawks in there. You could throw Jay Kaus right in there when he was healthy. Yeah. Um, Del Rico was a good player. Yeah, I'm, I'm see. I'd probably go with Vince Hall as your starter and, and Del Rico as the backup. You talk about pure football players. Yeah. And, and Jack Jack Tyler. Yeah, Jack, Jack Tyler, Tyler was, was, was 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 pretty yeah. good while he was here. Um. And then at the backer position, um, Xavier, Adibi. Yeah. And let's see, uh, maybe, maybe Jamel Smith backing him up. Um, I would go Tremaine Edmonds with Xavier. Oh, Adibi yeah. Backing yeah, him yeah. Up. yeah. And, and you're going to feel even more strongly about that after this year. Yeah, I yeah probably. I that guy's a freak. Um, so, yeah, sorry for leaving him out. And then at Whip, um, it, it's changing. You know, James Anderson, in my opinion, was was the the best Whip Tech ever had in terms of size and athleticism. Yeah. Would he be a good fit in the defense they play now? That's no. not really what we're talking. No, about. no, he'd no. be a backer now. We're talking strictly the the kind of defenses up until the 2015 season, yeah. where last year we kind of saw them really institute that four two five, where they had only two linebackers. Yeah. And then Mook Reynolds kind of came in and played that third nickel whip spot, but yeah. before that, they basically played a true whip. I think your your two deep there is Anderson and Cody Grimm. I don't know which order you want to put them. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Simonas was really good there back in the mid-90s, too. So he's probably your honorable mention. Yeah, I'd go with that. All right, cornerback. I know you mentioned Brandon Flowers earlier. Mm-hmm. I think we would all probably have Brandon Flowers 1 or 1A one at that point. And this goes back to the whole boundary field thing. I don't know if Virginia yeah. Tech doesn't play boundary yeah. field corner But they anymore. did. But they did. I would probably put Jimmy Williams at boundary. The 2004 Jimmy Williams. The 2004 Jimmy Williams. Not the 2005 Jimmy Williams. (laughs) 2005 Jimmy was still fine, but he just wasn't quite as dominant. He was amazing in 2004. 2004, he was amazing. I would put him on the the short side of the field. Uh, I actually think, you know, Brandon Flowers would probably – probably be better than Jimmy on the short side of the field, but you got to put somebody on the wide side, and I just don't trust Jimmy as much on the wide side at field corner. Yeah, I just want to put him in the boundary, go man-to-man all the time, go stop the run, everything like that. So those are my top two. I'd have Jimmy at boundary, and I would move Brandon Flowers to field corner, even though Brandon Flowers was actually a boundary corner at Tech. I feel like Brandon was good enough where, though, he could, oh, yeah. he could play. He could play anywhere. Yeah. yeah. This is a position where you can't go wrong because Tech's had so many good yeah. corners. Uh, so where, I, have, where does... I, I have several names written down, and we've only gotten two, two of them. So where does Macho Harris fit into Macho, this? Macho, yeah, there's one. I mean, he was a playmaker. D'Angelo yeah. Hall. Wow. So yeah. I would not put D'Angelo Hall on my list. <laughs> that, that does not no surprise me. I, I mean. Well, you he, can say that in a different tone of voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just, I think of D'Angelo and I just didn't. We had bad defenses when he yeah, played here. Yeah. And and I, I don't, and that secondary that just kind of freelanced all over the field in 2003 and didn't really care what they did. Well, you know, he was the leader of that group. And uh, when he left, that group got a lot better. Fair enough. Uh, so I, and, I, and Jimmy was at free safety. J- Jimmy and, was at free safety. They moved him to the boundary. Uh, they got Eric Green and Jimmy calmed down. And I, and I think D'Angelo Leland had a lot to do with that, honestly. I, I just I think, Fair enough. I think I think that NFL – Mentality was not good for those for the <laughs> talent level and things yeah. like that. But I just I just feel like that if I'm going to build a defense that where I'm going to get the best play at the college level, we're not talking about NFL. Talent yeah, here, yeah, yeah. Then you know I'm, he's not going to be in my starting. Group. Obviously, everyone knows too that when when D'Angelo got into the NFL, he obviously had some some on the field issues where you know he wasn't fitting in, and then he was in Atlanta, then he wasn't in Atlanta, he was in Oakland, and then and I think he's settled down a lot since he got into Washington. I think he's grown well, a lot. Well, old age will set around people. Yes, I mean, definitely. Honestly, yeah, I mean yeah. everybody calms down like that way to a certain extent. I, I remember Eddie Royal's first ever NFL game when he went for like ten catches for 120 yards against the Raiders that night and it was most of it was against D'Angelo Hall and I remember and I'm like why are you doing this to a fellow Virginia Tech wide receiver but at <laughs> one point Hall was so frustrated that he did what he did a lot in college and personal foul after 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 yeah. Royal burned him for a touchdown it was just shove him out of bounds or hit him in the helmet I forget exactly what he did so you know I, I was, was not a, a big fan of him doing that to a fellow former Virginia Tech football player I got a D'Angelo Hall story. Um, I used to do a thing with, uh, uh, you know, Bud Foster has his Lunch Pail Defense Foundation, and he used to um, go to the Marriott when the Marriott was here. He'd go after the spring game, and he'd, he'd gather some former Virginia Tech players with him. And, uh, you know, they'd just do a thing for some fans and try to raise a little money for the foundation. And Bud had me emcee that thing a couple of years. And I remember one year where D'Angelo was one of the players that came in. 
and everybody thinks of D'Angelo uh, as, as being so confident and a lot of ego and, and that sort of thing. And I don't mean ego in a negative way. I just mean ego. You know, D'Angelo believed in himself. And he told a story that night that I thought was interesting. He said when he first got to Atlanta, his very first practice was uh, him just getting smoked repeatedly by uh, Michael Vick throwing the ball and a wide receiver that D'Angelo couldn't even remember his name. It wasn't like the guy was a superstar. And D'Angelo's like, man, they're just throwing passes on me all day in practice. He said, and I went home and I laid in bed that night looking at the ceiling, and I'm thinking, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> and I couldn't believe I was hearing D'Angelo Hall saying, yeah, I'm not people. sure I can do yeah. this. You know, and clearly he got over that. But I've always thought that's an interesting story. Let's go ahead and move to safety. Obviously, they're you know the safety spots are, are very different. Um, but who who do you guys have a safety? I, I mean, Cam Chancellor seems like a a, a, a kind of a, a lock there, but. Well, he's better in the Cam, NFL Cam's than he was better, in college. Cam's one of those guys who's a better NFL player than yeah. he was a college player. Now, now, part of that is because he had to play free safety his last two years in college, which is not his natural yeah, position. He, he's, he's his a, best he's a year in college rover. was his sophomore year when he got to play Rover, I think. Yeah. So if you could play him at Rover, I think he'd be the natural pick there. But there's just not enough evidence of him playing Rover to know that he would have been a good one. That's true. Um Based on purely what they did in their college careers at Virginia Tech, I would put Pearson Prelo at Rover. Okay. Hmm. So we're talking about Rover. We'll let's stick with Rover yeah, for now. Yeah, we'll go ahead and stick with that for yeah, now. Yeah, I can't I can't I'm trying to go through them in my mind and I can't disagree with what Chris said about uh Aaron Pearson Rouse was Prelo. pretty good. Very good yeah, Rover actually. Yeah, Aaron Rouse. But but Prelo, man, that guy was a rover for for, for four years, basically. Yeah. Pearson Prelo fascinates me because he lives in Radford now, and he, he helps coach yes. the high school football team. Got to meet him at the Belk Bowl. Yeah, He's bad. not a lot bigger than me. No. Uh, and I'm, for the record, I'm 5'8", a buck 70. And, and, and not only was he a, a good player at the college level, he was a long-time player at the 12, NFL level. You you walk by that guy, and you wouldn't think to yourself, I just walked past a 12-year NFL veteran. He's, yeah. he's lost some weight since he uh, left the NFL. Yeah, yeah that's You know, true. those guys will put on 20 pounds of muscle, and then they'll, you, it's it's more noticeable with offensive linemen when yeah, they're 300 pounds, and all of a sudden pounds. they're 230. Yeah, but but it's, it's the same way with other players, too. You know, they'll, they'll drop 20 pounds because they're just not lifting and trying to keep on that weight all the time but that's true Corey bird was a really good rover but but you know if i had to pick one tomorrow i i would i would pick pearson Prelo. okay um you you mentioned Corey bird that was a name i hadn't thought of you know Corey was a good special teams player too so it's 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 hard hard. i think when you talk about rover there's a lot of guys at a similar level there's not guys that really stand out all right free safety to finish it up oh well, weren't you, weren't you always a big DJ Parker fan? I was a big DJ Parker fan, but I think Vincent Fuller's probably underrated. I think Vincent Fuller is Willie underrated. Willie Pyle, uh, uh, and I'm some of those early guys. Um, you're right, and I think since the defense changed, since we changed from that old all eight man front scheme and pre 2004, since 2004, the best free safety we've had was DJ Parker, in my opinion. Yeah. Before that, and the guy I'm going with. Uh, he just passed away this past December. It was Keon, Keon Carpenter. Carpenter. I think he's the best. And I was—I sh- remember being shocked when he didn't get drafted. I mean, I thought he was yeah, good, great. Si- good size, and yeah, and he—he he was a, just a good player. Him and Pearson Prelo, man, where he was the free safety, Prelo was the, was the rover, and those guys could could really play. And he had a good NFL career. Yeah, he and, did. Yeah, man, that guy was a punt blocking machine too. Um, so I, I would I would pick Keon Carpenter. 
Now, who, 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 who could we possibly be leaving out from DJ Parker covers the mid-2000s? Who, who were the safeties in those 98-99 teams? Uh, 98 was Keon Carpenter. Yeah. 99 was, uh, was Nick Sorensen. Right. Yeah. Um, what about late 2000s, late 2000s uh, early 2010s? Eddie, Eddie Whitley was Whitley. the one that I wrote yeah. down. Exxon was yeah. back there. Yeah, yeah. Eddie um, Whitley seemed like the best in my mind out of that era. And, of course, that's really the the, the era that I can speak on the most. Yeah, so it's, I think going with the, you know, Chris Chris has a much better mind and memory for that sort of stuff. And I don't know how, how, how much some of that is just pure nostalgia when I, when <laughs> right. I mentioned Keon Carpenter. Yeah. I mean, Del Murphy's my all-time favorite ba- baseball player. Yeah. And I'm a Braves fan, but is Del Murphy as good as Chipper Jones? No. No. Do, do I like Del Murphy better? Yes, because he was my favorite player when I was four. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, so it might, might be some of that factoring in there Fair when enough. I make some of those picks, but yeah. Keon Carpenter was really good. And he did have that 100-yard interception return. Actually, 105 yards, but it's, it's in the book as a, yeah, books as 100. 100. Was, it, was it him that blocked the two punts against Alabama? Uh, I believe so. Music City Bowl. That would have been his last college I think game. Corey, I think Corey may have gotten his hand on He might on have one. gotten one of them. Yeah. But, yeah, if Keon's not the all-time leading punt blocker at Virginia Tech, then he's got to be top three. Yeah. Well, that's one to look up. That's one to look up, and we can drop that trivia next week. One thing we know is that he was damn good. Yeah. All right, well, that'll be all for us, folks. We have uh, reached the end of the second episode of the TSL Podcast. Thank you for listening very much. I very much appreciate it. Uh, we're going to come back and continue this each and every week. Also, uh, the current plan is to have a short kind of mini uh, podcast or a bumper, as we like to call it, uh, after the West Virginia game, just kind of breaking things down really quick. It will not be a long listen. And then we'll be right back next week with uh, with Will Stewart and Chris Coleman to kind of break down the full game and then also take a look in the head into next week. So for Will Stewart, for Chris Coleman, I'm Ricky LaBlue. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.